This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, with voters choosing a new president in El Salvador, we dive deeply into the politics of Central America. But first, Megan Eckhamel is back, and she has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Venezuela is cutting ties with Panama. Nicolas Maduro, Venezuela's president, claims Panama is conspiring with the United States to overthrow his government. Maduro publicly announced his reasons for the action. Following the open conspiracy of the ambassador of the Panamanian government in Washington at the OAS, I decided to break off political and diplomatic relations with the current government of Panama and to freeze all commercial and economic relations from now on to defend our country's sovereignty and peace. Panama denies the accusations. The U.S. also denies having any part of funding any conspiracies against Venezuela's government. This comes after Venezuela expelled three U.S. diplomats, accusing them of conspiring to overthrow the government. In response, the United States expelled three Venezuelan diplomats last week. Countries throughout Latin America remembered Hugo Chavez this week, marking the anniversary of his death. Tens of thousands of Chavistas, followers of Chavez, wore red to commemorate the past leader. Despite the emergence of Nicolás Maduro as the successor to Chavez, some Venezuelans are losing confidence in their current president's ability to fix the country's problems. However, the majority of Chavistas remain loyal to Chavez's dying wish to support Maduro. Some opposition leaders asked for a day without protests to honor Chavez, but anti-government protests continued despite the parades for Chavez and the celebration of Carnival. Mexican director Alfonso Cuaron reaped many awards at this year's Oscar ceremony with his film Gravity. He won Best Director and shared an award for Best Editing with Emmanuel Lubezki. Gravity also won five other Oscars for Best Visual Effects, Cinematography, Original Score, Sound Editing, and Sound Mixing. Also at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences ceremony, Jared Leto attracted attention for his award speech. After winning an award for Best Supporting Actor, he expressed his support for the anti-government protesters in Venezuela. Lido won his award for his portrayal of a transgender character in Dallas Buyers Club. The campaign for president in Costa Rica took an unexpected turn this week, with one of the main candidates dropping out of the race. Johnny Araya, the mayor of San Jose, and the representative of the ruling National Liberation Party in the elections, said he would stop campaigning and ceded the race to his opponent. Although Araya has been regarded as the frontrunner for much of the campaign, in a surprise, he finished second last month in the first round. 
Recent polls show him more than 40 points behind Luis Guillermo Solis of the Citizens Action Party. Solis, a history professor and former foreign ministry official, represents the left-wing Citizens Action Party, an anti-corruption party. Costa Ricans will head to the polls next month to certify Solis as president. We'll have more later in this program about politics in Central America. For Latin Pulse, I'm Megan Camel. Thanks, Megan. This weekend, Salvador Sanchez Seren, El Salvador's vice president, the leader of that country's left-wing party, the FMLN, and the leader in presidential polls, sees if Salvadoran voters will certify him as the country's next president. He faces Norman Quijano, the mayor of San Salvador, and the leader of the Arena Party, El Salvador's longtime right-wing party. Sanchez Seren came within a point of winning in the first electoral round last month, and he continues to dominate in the pre-election polls. We invited Jeff Thale of the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA, back to analyze the election and to tell us what the election of Sanchez Seren portends for El Salvador. All the polls seem to indicate that the candidate for the FMLN, the current vice president, is going to win. Uh, how many points are we talking about? The, all of the polls suggest he's going to win between eight and, as, uh, eight and as many as 12 or 13 points. So it's a very decisive advantage. I think the election could happen and, you know, things could change. The numbers could be smaller. But I think it's very likely he's going to win significantly in this election. So what is moving forward then for um, an administration, the second FMLN administration going forward? What what are we to look forward to in El Salvador? Well, I think they're going to face, uh, you know, serious economic challenges. I think the country, uh, you know, growth rates have been low. The fiscal deficit is high. Um, they're going to have to look for international loans. And a big question, are they going to turn to the IMF? Are they going to turn to the IDB? Are they going to turn to the Chinese All of the, or the Venezuelans? All of those are big questions. That's one set. Connected to that, are they in a position where they can seek international investment? Um, and then finally, what kind of relationship will they develop with the Salvadoran business community? Those are all big challenges in the economic side. We've seen in this run-up to this uh, election that uh, some progressives in El Salvador have proposed Uh, more or less um, um, t a way to set aside partisanship and said, now we need to to work on a different El Salvador. We, we see uh, the former ambassador to the U.S., uh, um, Alt Schultz, talking about this and leading a group of progressives to do this. Is this a possibility? Is this is this the same idea that the PRI had in Mexico to to get rid of the partisan divisions and to move forward on reform? That's an interesting way to think of it in the, the comparison to the PRI. I think it's an interesting, I think it's actually an important proposal. It comes from uh, a sector of progressive academics, intellectuals, and politicians Um, they are people who've worked with the FMLN in the past, but also people who've worked with other political parties, some of whom have connections to ARENA and the business community. And I think what it reflects um, is, is the recognition that if El Salvador is going to address its economic problems, it does need to set aside the partisanship that's characterized the Funes administration and sort of the longstanding hostility between sectors of the business community and the FMLN, and that it's going to have to look for 
ways to seek consensus for the good of the country as a whole. So um, you've mentioned twice now that the business community is uh, afraid going forward of a of a second FMLN presidency, but but we've seen um, the presidency of President Funes go forward. Uh, business did not collapse in El Salvador. Salvador moved forward. Uh, yes, there are still problems with gangs and crime and and also corruption, but um, one could argue that it's a better country now than it was when the FMLN came into the presidency. Yeah, a couple of things about that. I, I certainly do think if you look at uh, questions of poverty and marginality in particular, it's a better country. I think um, on the rule of law, though there's still a huge set of problems, they've made progress and that's really important. Uh, I think from the point of view of the Salvadoran business community, traditionally – the government has served their economic interests as they understand them in the narrowest and often the most short-term kind of sense. And I think it's a challenge for the Salvadoran business community, even though they have not collapsed in the last five years, um, to accept the fact that while they are an important actor, they are not the only actor and that they can't dictate the terms politically. And so that's the challenge. And that's the issue in this call to the the nation, the call for a national consensus. Are there sectors of the business community that will say the long-term interest of the country and our long-term interest as business people is distinct from uh, or supersedes kind of our short-term economic interests? The Salvadoran business community, frankly, has not distinguished itself for its forward-lookingness, and let us hope that uh, that will be overcome. Is there something that the leading candidate of the FMLN, Salvador Sanchez Soren, the vice president, can do to ameliorate this this um, situation with the business community? Um, the business community is not liking where this is going, but but what this group of of progressives have said is. If we're going to move forward, we have to we have to decide that the era of business controlling everything and and the far right is over now. You know, I think the fear of the business community is that this is going to be, and on the other side, the fear of of some sectors of the left is that this is going to be Honduras. It's going to be a country in which there's a sharp confrontation between the president and the business community, the president and the, and the traditional elite, and it ends with real problems. Um, and Sanchez Seren has tried to reassure the business community in a couple of ways that that's not the case. In particular, he said publicly that there will be no constitutional convention to rewrite the terms of the Constitution. So, so no, no Honduras pre-coup. We're talking about Honduras Zelaya. Right. So Honduras, Honduras under Zelaya, uh, the final straw, if that's the word, in the dispute between sort of the business elite and traditional dominant sectors and Zelaya was what the business community saw as Zelaya's moves toward convening a constitutional convention, rewriting the constitution in ways that would strengthen the power of himself, his party, and the left. And they clearly were not happy with that. While I don't think Zelaya was moving as quickly toward what they feared, he was making moves, and they decided to preempt that, and they fomented a coup. And so Sanchez Seren has said, we are not moving toward a constitutional convention. So that's an important, I think, reassurance. And, and, a, and a big difference between Honduras and El Salvador is the left has actually come to power um, in a strong way in, in El Salvador after, um, uh, uh, some would argue, um, 
a civil war that that didn't turn out with the left won. But but in in Honduras, it was more a candidate who changed his stripes in office. Right. I think that's a really important distinction to make. I mean, El Salvador, the the FMLN has a social base, a long history organization and political structure and connections throughout the political system and society. And in the case of Honduras, the trade unions, the campesino organizations were all very weak, pretty divided, had been badly hurt in the course of the 1980s by repression. Um, And what happened is Zelaya sort of moved to the left, in some ways in alliance with Venezuela, and then built ties to those sectors. But he didn't have the political party behind him or the kind of base organization the FMLN has. And this is the issue. We, we've seen in the past week um, the right wing in the United States reacting to the fact that Salvador Sanchez Seren, um, a, a former guerrilla commander, is going to be president in El Salvador um, and, and that he's going to align with Venezuela and that, and that um, this is it for El Salvador. Right. I mean, this is uh, um, just recently – Roger Noriega, the former Assistant Secretary of State in the uh, George W. Bush administration, had an op-ed piece uh, in the Miami Herald whose headline was, Will El Salvador Become the Next Venezuela? And then it goes on about Sanchez Seren and narco states and ties with the FARC and and repeats um, claims made in an earlier op-ed piece uh, by Elliot Abrams and things that Otto Reich has been saying. So there's a sort of um, cabal of conservative Latin America analysts connected to the Bush administration. And the Reagan administration. And the Reagan administration, as far back as the Reagan administration, um, sort of using this kind of Cold War framing and Cold War rhetoric to suggest that Sanchez Seren is practically the devil incarnate. So we're not past that. Well, I hope that the Obama administration is past that. Um, And I hope that sensible sectors of the Republican Party are past that. There are clearly people who are not and who would like to revive with El Salvador and with Venezuela and with Cuba this sort of whole dichotomous black and white view of the world. You're either a good guy or you're a villain and you're either with us or you're with the Venezuela, Bolivia, Cuba axis of evil. Beyond trying to deal with that diplomacy, what what are the domestic challenges that Salvador Sanchez Seren is going to face, going to need to deal with. We've talked about his relationship with the business community. What else? So, right, the economy is obviously the central one. Beyond that, the biggest single challenge has to do with crime and violence. Um, El Salvador has one of the highest murder rates in the world. It's dropped because they've had this gang truce. Deciding how to handle that truce in this new administration will be one big challenge. Dealing with the problems of corruption and the influence of organized criminal groups and drug traffickers, their influence in the police, their influence in the justice system will be a second challenge. Um, So there will be a whole set of serious issues to deal with there. We've been talking about corruption in El Salvador over the past several months, and and it's, it's held up funds and aid from the United States to El Salvador. Uh, but yet Salvador is far from the worst uh, corrupt yeah. country in Latin America, um, in, in more or less in the middle as far as the, as the charts right, go. Right. I mean, it's an interesting issue. El Salvador um, has long had serious problems with corruption. There's no doubt about that. It's at the same time true that El Salvador is – it's if it, 
a much less corrupt and a much less crime-ridden country than Honduras, for example, or many other countries. Which is the, the second region. worst in Latin America. Right, right. And so it needs to address these issues because if it doesn't, it will go downhill toward where countries like Honduras are. But it is not there today. And um, the challenge that, uh, you know, the Sanchez-Seren government or any government will face in El Salvador is to create the institutional, first to recognize that this is an institutional problem, and second, and that it's linked to um, infiltration of the state, the influence of elites, and it's linked to money and power. And that to combat those, you've got to set up strong investigative bodies, you've got to set up ethics boards, you've got to set up systems where people publicize their financial records and all those kind of mechanisms. And, um, you know, they do need to make steps to do that. And uh, I hope that the sanchez Serrano government will move forward that way. The Funes administration were not strong enough to do those things. No. Funes um, made some real progress on the police and on cleaning out corruption in the police. In the middle of his term, uh, that progress sort of stagnated. He, they made steps forward and then kind of stopped. And the question is, are they going to move ahead again? Thank you so much, Jeff Thale of the Washington Office on Latin America, WOLA, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thanks. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life, an amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Besides El Salvador, voters in both Costa Rica and Panama will be making presidential selections later this spring. And recently, Nicaragua changed its constitution to give President Daniel Ortega more powers and also to give him a chance to stand for re-election again. We discussed these political conditions with John Booth, an emeritus professor with the University of North Texas. Booth is the co-author of Understanding Central America, a book that will be out in its sixth edition later this year. Here are excerpts from our long-distance phone conversation. Do you see that there is a particular direction that um, politics and the electorate is moving in, in Central America? Is it moving leftward? Well, I think it depends on, on where you're looking. Um, certainly, the Nicaraguan election uh, has, has now put Daniel Ortega in power for uh, a 10-year straight run, um, and uh, this will be the second, probably the, the second um, time that the FMLN has been elected in, in El Salvador. In Costa Rica, the old National Liberation Party, which was a uh, a sort of center-left party, has drifted to the right, and it's now split into the the Citizen Action Party, which has positioned itself on the on the to the left of the PLN. But these are these are pretty dissimilar groups. I think the FMLN and FSLN, Panama, Nicaragua. I'm sorry, uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua presidents are are more similar than the Costa Rican. Uh, um, candidate will be if if elected. So, uh, otherwise, uh, pretty pretty conservative on the other end, on the northern end of the uh, uh, of the of the region. When you talk about conservatism on the northern end, uh, we of course just had this election in Honduras with Juan Orlando Hernandez is is the new president, and Otto Perez Molina in in Guatemala, fairly right wing. Yes, 
Definitely, and and uh, one of the interesting things about about this, you know, the countries that have the worst, uh, with the exception of El Salvador, two countries with terrible crime problems have uh, have elected uh, very conservative presidents who, who sort of are taking uh, fairly hardline uh, positions, at least uh, rhetorically, on um, on managing crime and so forth. It's uh, it's you know it's an interesting kind of conservative in the north divided sort of very split you know uh, party f- fact fractionalization everywhere nicaragua is turning into a single party system uh, because of the collapse of the liberals and uh, uh, el salvador is very competitive the other places are very competitive but the party system is breaking down uh, pretty much everywhere so it's a, it's a it's a very interesting moment hard to summarize let's look at nicaragua a country that we often skip over on this particular program, and there have been recent constitutional changes in Nicaragua that I think point to what you're talking about, a single-party system that's going to allow Daniel Ortega to run for a fourth term. Um, You have written, not just in your book, Understanding Central America, but you've written uh, a book all alone on Nicaragua, um, and so you're quite an expert on that particular system. Um, Some worries that Nicaragua is headed toward um, not really a democracy, but but a quasi dictatorship. No. Well, you know, this is this is one of these uh, one of these questions that's loaded. It depends on on you know where one stands as to as whether they're going to like the answer uh, uh, I'm going to give. I think Nicaragua is turning into a a small version of Mexico under the PRI. That is to say, it's not going to be a a dictatorship, uh, very likely of the hard variety, maybe what uh, the Latin Americans used to call a dicta blanda, you know, a a, a single party dominant system in which uh, uh, there is no effective opposition. Uh, in in Nicaragua, I think the the wounds of uh, of the liberal party that split into many parts uh, are uh, owed almost entirely to the liberal party itself. It, it's been unable to manage its business and has divided and put up bad candidates, and people are so discouraged that they've ceased identifying with it. So uh, by default, uh, Ortega becomes, and the, and the Sandinista party become the, the dominant party. I don't see them as, as you know, a, a, as a radical left-wing dictatorship. Uh, Ortega is a big businessman himself. The country is uh, aggressively pursuing all kinds of, of private ventures uh, to, uh, you know, the tourism industry uh, uh, and so on. Uh, Big capital in Nicaragua allegedly is very happy with Ortega. It's the it's the small capital guys, the market, uh, the small businessmen uh, that uh, that hate him, and they're the ones who are in the dysfunctional uh, liberal movement. So, um, you know, I don't see that as a as a, uh, a horrible dictatorship. Uh, rumor has had it that Daniel Ortega, as long as the doctors can keep him. You know, piece together, uh, we'll keep uh, running for president to prevent his wife from seeking the presidency, uh, of whom many people are are really afraid. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, some people believe that 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 his wife is really the power behind the throne in Nicaragua. Long time um, handling his 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 um, his public relations. Well, she certainly plays a major role in the system. Um, there's no question about that, but uh, whether she's the power behind the throne, or not, I think she she certainly has created some competing uh, instruments of power, which she deploys, you know, somewhat independently of of his own uh, in the in the government. 
you talk about the collapse of the Liberal Party there in in Nicaragua, and and for many many years uh, the Liberals were were liberal in name only, had really become much more of a conservative party. Uh, the collapse has to do not just with internal divisions within the party, but also with corruption. Or, or are we off on that? Uh, yes, and yes. Uh, I mean, you're not off, and yes, you know, it's corruption. Yes, it's personal divisions. Uh, personalities, uh, every possible thing that can go wrong with the political movement, I think, uh, went wrong with the Liberal Party of Nicaragua. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, probably the, the deep cause of what happened had to do with the deal that uh, uh, the Liberals made with the Sandinistas uh, to, to sort of carve up the, the system between them. Uh, and uh, unfortunately for the liberals, when they couldn't, they couldn't then present a a single presidential candidate. Uh, they wound up putting out three candidates for president in the in the 2006 election and got uh, got narrowly beaten. And then when they they repeated that in in 2011, uh, they got trounced. Uh, Ortega got 62 percent of the vote. So so. The liberals have, you know, with corrupt office holders and scandals and personalistic factions and inability to deal with each other, um, have have managed to uh, to demolish themselves. Some people compare these constitutional changes that just went into effect in Nicaragua and compare them to Venezuela. That the Nicaraguans are using a Venezuelan model of limiting participation within a democratic system. Do you agree with that analysis? Well, I think uh, I think in the case of Nicaragua, there's been somewhat more focus on increasing executive power, which also went on, you know, heavily in Venezuela during the the Chavez era, um, and and continues under President Maduro. But yes, yeah, so there's there's a, you know there are structural changes in the system that that concentrate authority in the presidency uh, and uh, maintain the 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 FSLN's, you know, heavy influence over electoral uh, processes and so forth. Uh, on the other hand, they're also promoting a lot of participation. And again, this is from the Venezuelan playbook to some extent, although it's the Sandinistas were doing it before uh, before Chavez in Venezuela. That is, they're mobilizing their supporters at the local level uh, through various kinds of programs that induce people to participate, come into local government, uh, and uh, taking an active part, um, and through uh, the Rosario Murillo's organization that uh, manages the flow, or used to manage the flow of of uh, aid money, uh, funds are being channeled through those community organizations that compete with municipalities uh, that are affiliated with the FSLN. So they they have you know resources to to uh, compete with local government that used to provide some kinds of relief assistance and and other things. So, uh you know, it's a, it's an interesting model to shift more toward uh you know, a very participatory model, you know, that that rallies uh, rallies uh, allies at the base to become engaged and uh, we should mention for those who do not track Nicaragua that Rosario Maria is is the wife of Daniel Ortega. That's correct. Yes. And and so that does show a little bit of her power within the system. Let let's move a, a across the Gulf of Fonseca, if we could, to El Salvador, which is which is having this um, runoff election this this weekend. Um, Salvador Sanchez Seren, the vice president, is uh, widely ahead in the polls, and the FMLN, even though it has 
an ally in the Sandinistas in, in, in Nicaragua, really a different party. And you talked about the breakdown of party structures in Central America. Isn't El Salvador more of a of the traditional party structure, You, the FMLN and then the ARENA party uh, representing the conservatives? Uh, yes, absolutely. El Salvador has has been swimming in the opposite direction, if you will, from everybody else in the region. Uh, that is to say, uh, it has its party system has changed uh, to into a you know a fairly consolidated uh, uh, two party dominant system. Although there are more than two parties, but you have Arena as the as the sort of leading conservative party in the FMLN with a very strong base uh, on the on the left. Thank you so much. John Booth of the University of North Texas, co-author of Understanding Central America, which is due out in its sixth edition later this year, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thank you. And now a programming note. We'll be taking a bit of an early spring break next week. The program will return to its usual schedule on Friday, March the 21st. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Musica Q. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org. And then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Megan Eckhamel and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros, gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music by Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2014, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs> <laughs>